Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes, and you're listening to Heat Rocks. Normally, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, a.k.a. an eternal flame of an album. But today, we are doing something a little different, because on June 25th, 1984, one Prince, Rogers Nelson, released mm. one of the all-time greatest albums, Purple Rain. Indeed. So we thought we'd celebrate its 35th. I can't believe. I know, right? <laughs> Yo. That means we old. We old. It's 35th anniversary by recutting and remastering our past episodes where we discussed 1999, Dirty Mind, and of course, Purple Rain. Just a heads up, these episodes have been significantly cut down from their original length. So if you like the excerpts, by all means, go back yeah. and listen to the full episodes on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be doing this in the historical order uh, that Prince's albums came out. So first up, it's my solo episode with musician and fellow Prince devotee, Illa J. You were mine. You were all I ever wanted to do. We are so glad to have him here on the West Coast and in studio. Ella J, welcome to Heat Rocks. What's up? I'm happy to be here. This is dope. (laughs) All right. Now, got to ask you, you had choices. A gang of albums. Prince had a gang of albums. Why Dirty Mind? I feel like this is the one where he found his edge. I think he was on the same label as like Parliament and Funkadelic and all of them. Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, so he was learning a lot of stuff from them. And, uh, you know, you see the costumes and, and all the stuff, the funk, like, you know, but like I say, it just has an edge to it. Me growing up, I was more, you know, when you want to get into the 80s music debates, I was more <laughs> on the MJ side growing up because obviously you hear all the MJ songs all the time. And, you know, they play Prince, but, you know, we, we listen to, you know, my sister would have one of me starting something on, oh, sure. on on repeat, her and her friends banging on the on the on the on the wall when the you know the one part of I'm sure. saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. you know so I grew up with all the Michael Jackson hits so I didn't get a chance to get into Prince like really you know study it until like early 20s and then that's when I really because I knew I, I knew the hits I knew 1999 but sure. Dirty Mind is like I don't know that one just stands out can I ask you where you stand on the debate now Prince versus Michael Jackson because that comes up a lot you you listening to a Prince album you listening to a Prince album you know what I mean right like MJ, I would say he's just as musical. People take that away from him. They say he's not as musical. The difference is, is Prince can do that on every instrument. Like right. Michael has the music in him, but it comes mostly out the voice. He, I know, I know, I've heard, you know, I know he could play piano. You know, he produced Billie Jean and, you know, like I know that he produces, but, you know, he had Quincy there to, to tweak it. But exactly. Prince is engineering. He's right. in the studio engineering right. the whole record. It's like, yo, he, he can sing, he can dance, play every instrument, produce, write. And keep in mind the trifecta of albums that we talked about before we got started, which is For You, Prince, and Dirty Mind. These are written and recorded when Prince is uh, 20, 21, and 22. That's a hell of a lot of talent uh, for someone that age yeah. um, to write everything, to compose everything, and to basically be given a shot by Warner Brothers. And as, it's, as it has been uh, related over and over again, they gave him complete creative control. Right. So there's no one in there telling him what to do. You know, this is him. I got to ask you about your your first impressions when you heard the album, like the very first thought you had when you heard the album. Like, honestly, when I heard Dirty Mind, because it starts off with that, you know, 
you know, and you can hear it's a little off, but I like that it's a little bit off, and you can hear that he's playing with it. You know, the beginning of Dirty Mind sounds a little bit like the beginning of Controversy. That yeah, beginning, yeah, it does. That, yep, right? Yep. That beginning synth. <laughs> A dirty Mind is just more hype than controversy. But talk a little bit about, about Dirty Mind and your first impression of the song. So, I mean, like you were talking about controversy, you you hear that, like you were saying, they sound the same, but the sound is a little dirtier on Dirty Mind. It's just, and it's something about that raw sound that, um, you know, even even today, you know, people still add, they add static in, in tracks and, and things like that just to give it that sound people you know like adrian young people like that they record and tape and you know it's just a certain sound to it that's like you can't get that i want to ask you a question about the sequencing of the album the order of the album when you listened to it did you listen to it cover to cover or was there a song on here that you just got stuck on and had to be on repeat for a minute until you could take the whole album in you know this is more of a album you listen to straight through i don't i don't think dirty mind you don't go to you don't just go and listen to dirty mind you have to listen to this album straight through because it's sequenced perfectly even the titles that's a part of it too like i feel like titles is just as important as the the song it's just straightforward dirty mind when you were mine do it all night uptown head like what it's like this is very <laughs> straightforward you know what I mean? and, I, and imagine you know uh did they did i don't even think they had the uh did they have the sticker yet? The um, the uh, parental advisory? Yeah. That came later with Tipper Gore. And it came later with Tipper Gore because she heard her daughter dancing around to a Prince song and slapped that explicit sticker um, on it. So parental advisory right. wasn't, wasn't around then. Um, but certainly this would have been. We talk a little bit about the sequencing of the album. One of the most interesting transitions on the album to me is the transition between sister and party up. It's an interesting transition. Sister is the shortest song on the album, a minute 16. And I think that's by design. Because by the time you realize that, one, he's talking about his sister. Two, he's talking about incest. By the time you're finished processing that, you hardly have a breath and then you go to party up. Yep. Which I think is on purpose because you're just like, wait, wait, wait. What did he say? And by the time you're trying to figure that yeah. out, <laughs> you're already partying. You know what I'm saying? You got to party up, as he says. I mean... <laughs> To say the least, I remember at the time thinking he's got to be joking because surely he can't be talking about about this. And if I if I'm not mistaken, a lot of people wondered later, was he talking about his real sister? But it couldn't be because there's only two years age difference between them. And in this, there's he's twice as old. as Yeah, his yeah, sister. yeah. You know what? That was one of those. One, like, again, like it's when you go back and listen to it is when you catch it because it. It's so fast, it's like a little, it's almost like an interlude right. in the album. It's like in your face, but not right. at the same time. And I feel like that's the cleverness of his song, right? You know what I mean? Oh, sister, I just wanna be a 
some of the tracks. Cool. What's your favorite? Honestly, Dirty Mind. That's like that's right. That's right. That would be the first one I would name. Dirty Mind. Uptown, I feel like it's just a, a well-written song, a really well-written song. Same, same as When You Were Mine. So the concept is really dope because it's like it's such an edgy songwriting. It's like, what is he, is he really saying? Is sleeping in between? What what's happening? Right. Like, Well, when you were mine is one of the great songs um, on this album. It, it's its arrangement feels teeny boppish. It feels like a crush, and so Prince to me on this album and many other albums doesn't come across as a creep because in all of these all this sexual explicit lyrics and all this eroticism, there's still a guy that has a crush on a girl yeah, and still yeah. a guy that's lamenting. In one of the lines, he says, "And now I follow the guy that you're." <laughs> yes, and you know what? That is true. It doesn't like not in any song does it sound creepy. If anything, it's if anything, it's almost like he sounds innocent talking about it that's it exactly yeah this is the same guy that could write head a little bit later and yeah exactly like right you know you got three songs later uh four songs later he's got head This is my fire track off of the album. The synth is sickening on here. You know what? That's it's one of those things where, if it wasn't for like you know, I'm pretty sure they couldn't play that on the radio that much. Like you know, but like realistically, like that should have been like a bigger song than it was. Sure, but they couldn't play it on the radio. Yeah, yeah. They, so it's they, like, they I mean, they could probably play it now. Oh yeah, so they on the radio, they could play they that. Could they play could play it now. that song. Yeah. yeah, but it's like now, nah, you know, back then that would have that's you know. It's uh, way too many rules and, and super you know, controversial. Like, yeah, yeah. Not just what he's saying. Um, the you know, I think that might be Wendy that's saying, you know, I'm just a virgin and I'm on my way to be wed, you know, and and he ends up, you know, doing his thing and then she ends up not getting married. Yeah, it's, it, crazy. it's listening to it now. It seems tame in comparison to what we hear. The lyrics may not be, but again, I think we've made the point a couple times that Prince just doesn't seem like a creep. I'm a music supervisor, and here recently, Let's Go Crazy was used in a commercial. I think it might have been a Citibank commercial or Chase Bank commercial. A lot of music supervisors felt some type of way about that. To us, a lot of us, Prince's music is precious, and I think he had expressed before that he did not want his music to be featured in ads. I'm, I'm a lover of Prince music. I mean, I'm a huge, huge Prince fan. But for me, it would be very hard for me to place a Prince song in something. Um, I don't know that I've come come upon a, a moment yet that justifies that because it's just so precious to me. Yeah, You're obviously nice with the, with the samples. You're nice with the beats. Is there a song of Prince's that you would sample for something? 
I don't. You know what? It's it's weird though. But it's like certain artists. I'm I'm really picky with samples or like even hearing people sample or hearing people cover people's songs. Like sure. you know, it, it's certain songs. It's like you know, it's certain Michael Jackson songs. It's like. Like no, nah, don't don't cover that. Don't cover that. Just don't yeah. cover it. Don't do it. But <laughs> so you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't cut up any Prince Prince songs. Honestly, it's one of those things where Prince is like you know that's like my favorite artist all the time. So like the thing is when I'm when I start to record though, like I I back off. Like if I make something and it's influenced, then cool. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to redo any songs or it's just like it was almost like just let it let it be. It's already dope. Only person that did like a a really you know who killed it. Like obviously Shaka Khan, she's a beast. She killed it. Um, Sinead O'Connor, nothing Sinead compares O'Connor. to you. Yeah, yeah, she had her own version of that. Yeah. It was really dope. Um, honestly, the person that did the most justice was, um, I would say, D'Angelo. She's in my hair. She, he, he, he killed that. He killed that. Absolutely and, killed it. And honestly, like it's, I don't know if it's a lot like that represents. Cause I know people would say, well, yeah, Bruno Mars, he plays instruments and he dances, and but I'm like, nah. Like the the closest to me in this generation is. That we will get to Prince to me is a D'Angelo. Yep. One thing that I always take away from this album is was Prince's ability to make synthesizers be sexy. That they very much to me felt like an extension of his own sexuality. That they, when he would shriek, they would shriek. When he was raw and turned up, the synthesizers were raw and turned up. The guitar was raw and turned up. That the instruments were his muse, a method for communicating eroticism, sexuality, his youth, his swag. And Dirty Mind to me is that in a nutshell. The first time for me um, that I was very much aware of that. If you yeah. had to describe Dirty Mind in three words, what would they be? Album of Genies. <laughs> nice. All right, we still have two more episodes to go through, so let's take a listen to entrepreneur and tech activist Anil Dash's episode, where we discussed 1999. Anil, thank you so much for joining us here on Heat Rocks. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. We are certainly going to get into the album 1999 uh, very shortly, but I need to ask this to kick things off. How and why did you become so obsessed with Prince? You know, it might have been this album, but in general, well, I mean, first of all, I grew up in the 80s, right? So you you weren't going to avoid Prince, just like you weren't going to avoid Michael. You weren't, you know, it's it's the air you breathe. In a world with uh, three TV networks, and we didn't even have MTV, <laughs> uh, you know, you 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 just you couldn't you couldn't miss it on the radio, right? And and for me, I have an older sister who you know is a huge influence on my life in every way. But definitely, I remember around about eighty two, you know, her room down the hall, uh, and she would always have the door closed. She was already heading towards you know be the sort of moody teenager, and I was I was a young kid, and you would just sort of hear that muffled like. Dum. You know, coming through the door, mm. and I was like, "What is that?" And you know, I don't think I knew what funky was yet, but you feel it. 
You feel it. And yeah. I, I just, I just, I was like, there's something. And it was funny because now in retrospect, it's all really clear, but I was like, oh, there's, there's something really sort of forbidden and, and mm -hmm. uh, taboo about this because there's some reason like she's got her door closed and, and, and I remember very, very distinctly, you know, she got the record, the, the double fold out LP and, you know, I was sort of still like, I'm not going to really, like, I I'm not going to touch her records because I know I'll get my ass beat. And, um, you know, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm being cool. And she would get halfway through Little Red Corvette, which by that time was on the radio. And it was where the radio would ed edit would fade. And she would cut it off real quick. And it was, you know, now I realize she, we weren't allowed to play curse words around our parents. Yeah. With, the, with, you know, with the record player. And, and I would just be like, why is she running over the living room? To you know, to check the needle off the record in the middle of this song that we're all enjoying. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> she knew. And she knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Thirty-nine albums, tons of bangers, mm -hmm. and fire tracks. Why'd you pick nineteen ninety-nine? You know, there's a lot of reasons. I, it's funny because, like, if you ask me what's my favorite Prince album, it's, you're going to get thirty-nine different answers, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think there, there's something about all the sort of confluence of things. From you know, one, there's songs everybody loves. Like, you can take somebody who's the most casual, like I barely even heard of Prince. You know, some of these 90s babies, whatever. And you just like, you play 1999. They're like, I know the words. I don't even know how I know the words. And I'm dancing. And you go the opposite direction. Like, I'm a, I'm a tech guy, right? I've, I've, I've worked in tech my whole life. And that's sort of a lot of the lens I look at the world. And it is a both, it's amazing. It's both things at the same time. It is technologically astounding. Like, it is this breakthrough in the way you make records, in the way that one person could command not just the instruments but the technology of drum machines and synths and all these things, and even the recording studio itself, but also that sense of foreboding of like, what is mm -hmm. the millennium? And mm -hmm. what is the effect of technology on our lives? And, and what is this sort of computerized future going to be? And then, by the way, you can get to end of the record and have something to play for your lady. Like, that's, that's <laughs> it. The whole universe is there, right? Like, that's it. What more could we ask for? You know? Right. In the last year, you gave uh, a really great talk at the I.O. Festival that was all about Prince, but also interwoven into a history of immigration and your own family history and all these things. And you were also, if I may add, wearing a very spank, tight, shiny leather jacket, which I'm hoping that you are still wearing as we speak now. In your talk, you claim, amongst other things, uh, amongst the other honorifics that we can bestow upon Mr. Prince Rogers Nelson, uh, is that he was, quote, the coolest, sexiest, funkiest geek in the history of the world, but he was a geek. And mm. I'm going to link to your full talk in our show notes on the webpage, but I'm wondering if you don't mind just briefly, succinctly explaining mm -hmm. Prince's geekosity. So, yeah, I, I think the lens on this is like, I mean, everybody knows he played every instrument. Everybody knows he did all the stuff in the studio and he wrote the songs and, you know, soup to nuts, right? The, the musical genius. What is, is less obvious is what it took to be doing that with, he had the first of the uh, Lin LM1 drum machines, which yes. is the, the drum machine that you hear throughout this record. So when you, you, you know, that you start 1999 and it's a... 
That's that's it, right? That's that sound. And it wasn't meant to make that sound, right? This is this is this box that's supposed to sound like real drums, right? And instead, it sounds like the future, right? And and how did he do that? And and the answer is not like. And like this is not an exaggeration. Is you have to be a computer programmer, right? And and the thing we forget in this moment now, you know, all these but thirty five years later is, um, nineteen eighty two Time Magazine's Person of the Year was the computer, mm-hmm. the personal right, computer. Right. The IBM PC had only come out a couple months before. To be able to be like, I'm as funky as you want, and I play all the instruments, and I'm gonna, like he, he. There's no question he had to have been like reading the manual for this little wood paneled drum machine box and being like, "How do I program this thing?" And which, like, I'm sorry, there's no two ways about it. That is geeky. That is some geeky <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> and and now he could take that and flip it, and it was like, yeah, and you can dance to it, you know, like so, like he get he could get that out of it. We'll be right back on Heat Rocks with more of our favorite moments on Prince. Don't go anywhere. Well, Alexis, we got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Season one, done. It's over. Season two, coming at you hot. Three years after. <laughs> three and a half. Season three one. Half. Technically right. almost four years. All right. And now, listen, here at Can I Pet Your Dog, the yes. Smash It podcast, our seasons run for three and a half years. <laughs> and then at season two, we come at you with new hot co-hosts named you. Hi, I'm Alexis. <laughs> and we also have uh, field trip. Dog tech. Yeah. Dog news. Dog news. Celebrity guests. Oh, big shots. Will not let them talk about their resume. Nope. Only yeah, the dogs. Only the dogs. I mean, if ever you were going to get into Can I Pet Your Dog, now's the time. Get in here every Tuesday at MaximumFun.org. We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and now, nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin. Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes no no not at all the better ones the good ones clues ahoy listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence laugh if you must but mainly get all the great clues my brother my brother me it's an advice show kind of but a treasure hunt mainly anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps my brother my brother me the hunt is on And we are back here on Heat Rocks, going over our favorite moments from the past episodes about Prince. We discussed 1999 with entrepreneur Anil Dash. So we asked this of all of our guests, Anil. What's the fire track off the I album for you? you? Heavy decibels and, uh, <laughs> and repeated play. The, the party started every time is the song 1999. You know, and it's, it's the obvious hit. It's the one everybody knows. And you always want to pretend like you're too cool to go with it. <laughs> but I tell you what, you know, you, you go any room in the world and it doesn't matter what's happening. You put that on and people are going to start dancing and it just it just moves you. And it is it's funny. You can put it as quiet as you want 
in your headphones, whatever, and that song is loud every time. this quote here. It was a Pitchfork review, and, and oh, it started out where Maura Johnston said, 1999 is the greatest album ever made about partying as a way of staring down oblivion. What are mm. your thoughts on that, and what do you think Prince was really trying to say about the afterlife or the yeah. apocalypse? You know, I've, I've, I've been to see Prince with Maura, so she knows what she's talking about. Mm. Um, for me, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a, raised in a Hindu household and learned about really all of Christianity and, and American Christian culture secondhand, primarily through Prince's music. Wow. Um, and and it is, it's actually funny. I didn't know that the Lord's Prayer was not the lyrics to controversy until I was in high school. Um, <laughs> that's, a true, that's a true story. That's honest. That's, that's the absolute truth. I, uh, I was like, man, somebody's like got a poster on their wall with like the lyrics to controversy? <laughs> like that's wild. <laughs> I think it's like a needlepoint and this is our father who are now. I was like, Wow. That and they're a, like, yeah, that's that's, that's not Princeton, Prince right? That, yeah. My vision of what Christianity even is in, in culture today is very, very different because this was my introduction to it. These were also the Reagan years, yeah. And people legitimately had fears of bombs, you know, oh, and, yeah. and wars. And he had referenced Ronald Reagan before. I think Ronnie talked to Russia is one of my mm -hmm. favorite uh, favorite mm -hmm. songs. I was listening to it the other day, and I was like, wow, this Russia thing again. Um, so I think, yeah. uh, <laughs> why does that keep coming up? But um, I, so I think this song was not only about not only religious but also political. His fear of the time, and I I, I always wondered was it what, what, was he scared in 1982 or was he scared in 1999? Yeah, and, and I, I also think of like he's connecting to you know obviously that Reagan moment and and the sort of the height of the Cold War and 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 I think that it, that interesting thing to me is blending his faith with the political moment and of course this like I think his true sort of artistic expression and those are all indistinguishable to him. I mean, there's no he's not like laying it on thick of like let me make a connection between those things. It's like those are all one thing. Right. Morgan was quoting from Mora, uh, writing for Pitchfork, and I had also pulled out a, a quote from a, a review about this album. This is from originally written back in 82. This was the uh, original Rolling Stone review written by Michael Hill, who describes the album, and I think really talking about the song, the title song in particular, uh, as being, quote, social freedom through sensual anarchy, oh. which I thought is a great turn <laughs> of phrase. And oh, yeah. as much as 1999, both the title song and especially the album is about the end of the world and apocalypse, it's also about sex. And so mm -hmm. this leads me into a very heavy, very ham-fisted transition into the song for me that I will always think about because it was my introduction to Prince. And we've talked about it many times, uh, referenced it uh, in this episode so far which is Little Red Corvette. My enduring memory of this song is that it was playing in the car when my dad was driving. And I did not grow up in a particularly religious household, but it was still, and this goes back to everything we've been saying about Prince being the dirtiest artist on the radio back in that era, is that when Little Red Corvette came on, my dad basically changed the channel and <laughs> explained to me, you really shouldn't be listening to this. Which, of course, when you tell this to some, I was, what, maybe 10 years old at the time, it only piques your interest, like, 
oh, what, what was yeah. that then? Um, I guess it could have been worse. It could have been Erotic City, which would have been a really <laughs> awkward <laughs> car ride. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about this, the, the sensual anarchy of this album, because I do think it's such a big part of it. And Morgan, I know you got something to say about this. Well, first of all, when... Uh, <laughs> I was so naive. Like, I love this record, but I'm here to say I didn't really understand it fully until I became an adult. When I was mm-hmm. a kid and I was listening to Little Red Corvette, when he says uh, Pocket Full of Trojans, uh, some of the muse, I was like, wait, I thought that was about USC. Okay. <laughs> I completely, <laughs> I, I didn't know what that man was talking about. I knew it was a jam, mm-hmm. but I didn't know. Um, <laughs> the one thing about this album that, that's interesting to me about the sexual nature of it is sexuality as modes of transportation we've got lady mm-hmm. cab driver we've got little red corvette we've got mm-hmm. planes on international lover he's like some sensual sort of captain sully you know he gets you <laughs> to your location <laughs> safely um, i'll take you there <laughs> right locked and loaded mm-hmm. um so one of the one of the ways that i think sex played out for him was 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 with bonus material at the end of a lot of these songs was this sort of long drawn out situation mm. for lack of a better word the end of 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 uh, of lady cab driver this is for the cab used to drive for no money at all this is for why i wasn't born like my brother handsome and tall this is for politicians who are bored and believe in war and this one yeah that's for me that's who that one's for I mean, man, Mm. you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so... um, (laughs) (laughs) I do recall. So I don't know if my mom was going to be listening to this one, so I I wanted you to say what if you knew what Mm -hmm. I was talking about. But at at the end of that, I've been a radio DJ for a while, and I remember... I would always have to fade out about halfway oh, yeah. through the song. You were like a Neil sister. Oh, exactly. <laughs> in the living room. Well, that was the thing. is you know, he's, he, Little Red Corvette, I mean, it's not, it, now it's nothing. He's like, you got an ass like I've never seen. But you couldn't say that on the radio no. in 1982. No. You know, and they would fade it in a hurry. Like, it, it wasn't one of these, gra- it was just like, whoop, and we're out. And, you know, one of our previous guests had said that Prince's If I Was Your Girlfriend should become just a, a stone-cold classic. Like, every artist mm-hmm. should cover it. <laughs> Off of this 1999 album, is there a song here that you would like to hear a contemporary artist take on? What would the song be, and who would the contemporary artist be to cover it? It's actually it's a song that means a lot to me. All the critics love you in New York. Why you can play what you want to? All the critics love you. And it was, uh, I think it was Prince responding to, well, you know, obviously very literally, like him being accepted by critics, but also having this distance of like, having the, you know, honestly having the balls to mock them um, and be like, if you say, you know, they won't think you're naive if you play what you believe in New York, you know, like this very like, I'm the Midwesterner and I'm in the big city. And what a change from when he'd been amazed to be in New York just, you know, a couple years earlier as a teenager. Um, and, and, and it's funny for me, like I worked at the Village Voice for a while. It was one of the first jobs I got after I moved to New York. Mm. I, I, I took it because I had understood the Village Voice to be that place where they write about Prince records and like them. You know what I mean? Like that was really, that was it. I was like, this song is about, um, you know, Chris Gow and, and him saying this is like Prince makes good records. And so I want to go be at that place. Let 
Let uh, the record reflect, though, that Bob Criscow gave this album only an A minus. Well, yeah. Which is actually for Bob in that era, that actually is pretty yeah. generous. Yeah. But it's still yeah. a minus. There's still a minus on there, which is you know Asian yeah. F. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But all you know what I mean, like, not for nothing, but like people coming up in rock in that world, like I, I'm surprised it was that high. They weren't ready. Mm. Like this thing is so far ahead of its time. I almost don't fault people for being like, I don't get it yet. It bring the house down. You said you've seen uh, Prince at many shows. Did you ever wear purple to the show? Did I? Come on now. You got to respect <laughs> the man. He would ask, you know, he put it on, on the, the ticket, ticket right? Yeah, he'd be like, make, wear something sexy, wear something purple. You know, all right, yes, sir. Was there any leather yes. in there? Any purple leathers? Yeah. Whatever. Purple leather is a little much. Now, you got to be. <laughs> you got to be Prince. You got to be a certain, you know what I mean? Like, there's, it's like, you got to be Eddie Murphy in, <laughs> in, in, in between 1983 and 1985 to sure. pro- pull off purple leather in front of others. Uh, but I could do purple or leather. Like you don't want to, okay. you know, you don't want to be too much. Nobody's nobody's here to see me. <laughs> that said, I need to see an Anil Dash Prince outfit now, Prince concert outfit, just to get you know get capture the look here in terms of what we're talking about. How would you describe 1999 if you only had three words to do it? Mm. Seeing the future. Oh, that is what he did. It's all there. Like I said, we we just came up with from 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 Blade Runner to 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 nuclear annihilation to to the the influence of tech on our lives, whatever. Every single one of these things he saw, you know, and 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 called out, and uh, and you know, and brought receipts. You can't argue with genius like that. Welcome back. Our last episode from our Prince retrospective features singer-songwriter Michelle Indigo Cello, someone who knows or who knew Prince quite well herself, yeah. who sat down with us to discuss the one and only Purple Rain. Again, celebrating its 35th anniversary this summer. That's crazy. Michelle, welcome to Heat Rocks. Oh, thanks. That's amazing. <laughs> so, what was your introduction to Prince? Let's start there. Yeah, I had a feeling when I chose this this recording that I would have to have a lot of backstory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Prince is the reason I wanted to be a musician. Mm. I remember hearing the For You recording. One of my mother's good friend's daughter played it for me, and it was like nothing I'd ever heard in my life. I'd experienced that with Stevie Wonder, but there was just something about Prince that it it, it made it different. I'm a teenager when Purple Rain comes out. I'm an awkward teenager. <laughs> the visual element definitely embedded itself, but it's it, it was the going home at night and playing that record mm. over and over again. All the different styles that were incorporated in the soundtrack and and also the story. I guess I had a similar sort of upbringing that had a lot of upheaval. Mm. 
So it just spoke to me. It made me not feel so alone. And I'm sure that's what made it so important to me or a life changer because it, it just, yeah, made me not feel so alone. But in hindsight, I see it's quite misogynistic. But at that <laughs> moment, <laughs> at that moment in time, you know, this beautiful androgynous young man who played the guitar riding around on his purple motorcycle. Yeah. It was my my James Dean moment. You know, I have a lot of religious rhetoric, but it was like watching the Messiah, like the person you dream about <laughs> wow. who's going to change the world for you. I know I know yeah, it yeah. sounds fanatical, but that's right. the well, kind I mean, of prince, prince he, person he I was. That. I yeah. was that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it, it formulated so many ideas I had about myself in the music business from that movie. Wow. If I can ask a quick follow-up. Yeah, yeah, sorry to talk I, so No, 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 no. This is fantastic. But you obviously went into the film and, and the album with some set of ex- expectations as a Prince fan prior to that. And so I'm wondering if you recall, what it, had you heard about Purple Rain as a film? And were you going into it trepidatious? Were you going in like, oh my God, this is amazing. Prince is making a film. Like, what, what did you carry in with you? I was the kid who went to the art high school, who would go every Friday to see, you know, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. I don't read reviews. I definitely didn't then. I'm definitely someone who's like, no, nah, I'm going to see for myself, make my own judgments. Yeah. But also, you, you, people compare it to 1999 for some reason. He'd come from that two-album two uh, experience. I just knew this was going to be different, and I had zero mm. expectations. Mm. I just knew it was going to be this experience that he was offering us. And that's how I treated music and him. I didn't think about genres at that time. I grew mm. up in D.C. where yeah. I could go see punk shows. I could go see classical music, jazz. I never, go, I didn't go. grow up with those categories. So for me, I think it took away that, like, I wasn't, I, was, I didn't have expectations. Mm-hmm. I just knew, like, this is going to be like theater. Because also oh. I love theater as well and went to an arts high school. And just the fact that, yeah, I think for me, this is the first experience of cross marketing as well. I, uh, yeah, I didn't, but I didn't think of it that way. That's only in hindsight. But I was like, he's gonna act. Oh, that's such a, <laughs> that's such a leap of faith right yeah. there. Because that is not for every musician. True. So, true. in hindsight, again, yeah, yeah, wasn't uneven some of the acting. Yeah, right. but at that moment, no, it was, it was everything. Yeah, everything to me. I watched the film in, in prep for the chat. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess just as a youth seeing it, I miss so many things that sort of gave me pause last night. I was like, did Morris Day just throw yes, somebody in the did. dumpster? Yes, did. <laughs> and I don't I, mean to interrupt, but yeah. No, it, that for me sealed Prince's um, larger than life. He became a rock star to me on that album. Mm. What appealed to you musically? All, all instruments. What did you like about Purple Rain? What spoke to you when oh, you heard it? The deconstruction of uh, When Doves Cry, the No Bass, was fascinating to me. I thought that was just, that was mind-blowing. Animals strike curious poses. They feel the heat, the heat between me and you. Just need me standing. Alone in a world that's so cold. Maybe I'm just I Would Die For You was... I think I, I I think I drove my family crazy. <laughs> I would just play that one over and over again. The the hi hat pattern. Mm. Chica, chica, chica. 
the, the way he hits accents within it. And just the, uh, I mean, I grew up in a super religious household as well. But I had my own personal stereo, so I could <laughs> experiment. But the thing that got me was the chords were very, like, uh, Sunday school Christian harmony to me. Mm. It, it, it uplifted me. So I, I really dug that one. Musicianship. See, that's funny. I don't I don't think of it in that record. The songwriting hits me. Mm. I'm more into the songwriting of Purple Rain than the musicianship. One of the, the recurrent themes for me and Prince are always these questions about God and the afterlife and the afterworld. And in the beginning of Let's Go Crazy, it's like, wait. I mean, it's just like, really, what are you being said? What is being said? And later on, he said that this was about God and the devil. That the elevator was really supposed to be the devil, and he changed the lyrics at the last time, at the last moment. And I wonder what that song would have been had he had what he wanted to have in there. It would be hard to party to, that's for sure. <laughs> if you would be saying the devil, I think Try it would be to bring you down. But that right. pop music, is, it is. I mean, great pop music is is has excellent metaphor. Sure. And and yeah, I wonder though. I mean, he wouldn't sing "I Would Die for You" anymore. I remember going to the staple series of Staples Center shows in the mm. um, early 2000s, and he would no longer sing it. I'm curious, along these lines, are there songs from your own catalog that you don't perform anymore? Of course there are. I'm 50 years old, and I there's my first record has songs that I wrote when I was 18 or 19. Yeah. And 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 again, it's only in hindsight that they some of them I see as a burden, like that freedom. Interesting. I put something in, yeah. out into the world that now I have to. It's it's like the book of life, the you know sure. mythical. You know, I have right. to, I have to, I have that to listen to. I have to reckon with 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 what I've said. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, of course there are. Could you just talk a little bit more about where does Purple Rain, on a musical level, on a songwriting level, whatever element that you want to tackle, but what made it similar or different than the other Prince albums in that that eighties era? To me, yeah, nineteen ninety nine is a is the you're walking through the desert, and Purple Rain is the oasis. Mm. I feel like nineteen ninety nine. It's like I'm I'm partying, but I feel <laughs> the I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's got this. Just has has all kinds of energies in it. Must be something in the water you drink. I mean, I'm going through something with him, and the, I mean, Lady Cab Driver is mm. like if you if you choose to analyze that song, beware. <laughs> You know, it's just there's this like I said, there's just a loneliness and yeah. yeah, it's it's just such a different record. It's like uh he's man on fire mm. in nineteen ninety nine. Mm. And on Purple Rain I feel he's like, I've honed my skill, I'm mm. ready to be seen mm. in a in a serious way. And it it's it's it it's transformative because it is telling a story. He's created this whole other world for you. It's like he goes from vagabond, you know, trench coat coat dude you know sexy man he's giving you everything he's giving you rock star and then he becomes a rock god messiah right. he, just everything becomes tailored he it's it's yeah hmm. becomes defined and refined hmm. in purple rain 
one of the songs that doesn't get mentioned a lot on this album. And I don't know why, because it's a jam, okay? It is a heat rock. It's Computer Blue. And then I guess at the two-minute mark, he just does a change-up on me, where I just wasn't expecting it to go in that direction. That's it right there. That yeah, is a jam. And in the movie, everyone starts dancing on the one. Everyone's going side to side. That's just a... And it's instrumental. I do... I like, I, I like that it had a, lot of, had a lot of instrumental things going on. Do you have a fire track off this LP? My heat rock? Your um, heat rock. <laughs> no, I gotta say, I would die for you. I mean, yeah. I'm mm. sorry it's lame, but that is my one. What is it about it? Just the way it makes me feel. Mm. And I, you know, I mean, I've been listening to this conversation. I, mean, I just, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be afraid. I'm a, be, you know, I'm a believer. I am, I am, I believe there's something I cannot see mm. that is greater than myself. Um, and it's, there's, yeah, there's something in there. And eventually he tells us that's what it was, what he was writing about. But I'm, I've, I feel that from the beginning from the first time I ever heard it, from the beginning to the end of that song, it's just like he's trying to, to me, mm. I feel like he's just trying to remind me, like, there, there's something bigger than you, and that life is about sacrifice. But I'm trying to help you feel that so- audibly, yeah. sonically. I yeah. want you to know that, know that about life. Yeah. How about for you, Morgan? Do you have a fire track off of this? The Beautiful Ones. Mm? Um, I think it's the only song on the album that starts out with the piano, mm. um, and it just reminds me of uh, of my first crush. And uh, that crush being unattainable because I didn't really feel beautiful and I felt like I was crushing on someone beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so um, I might have had a crush at the time this you know, this movie came out. It's so intimate. It's soft. It's tender. And so that's, I mean, I, I, I love him playing guitar because one of the things that, I mean, that's probably another show, but it was also the first time that I started to look at the guitar as a sexual um, the, the, the sexual nature of the guitar mm. but that I saw watching the film I, I just didn't know that know that before I didn't have that awareness right, right, right. Beautiful One stands out to me because it's quiet mm. and it's got a slow build um, like crushes and it just felt very magical for me mm. you? well I mean the one song we haven't really gotten too deep into um, would probably be When Doves Cry and I do want to come back to the title track in a minute but mm. Could we hear a little bit of um, When Doves Cry, especially the beginning from the very start? Yeah, that's a good one. So that's all, that whole 
top of it, though. When it's reminds me so much of Kurt Cobain. Mm -hmm. That part sticks Mm -hmm. with me every single time. I think Mm -hmm. when I first heard that as a 12-year-old, I'm thinking, I mean, the, the guitar solo itself is already incendiary enough. But you don't expect that to come in. It's like, what is he doing? What's the point of it? Does it really matter? It sounds amazing. <laughs> exactly. He's wailing. He's wailing. Michelle, unlike I think either of us, you've actually had the, the opportunity to interact with Prince. Um, but you also said that those encounters were kind of unusual. And I'm wondering if, if you would care to elaborate or talk a little bit about like what, what, what was it like actually meeting him? And what was it from those encounters that you took away? I think I I think the moment I met him I I like lost my ability to brute to breathe, but then also got to see that he was just a human being. Yeah, and that was hard. I'm a complicated human being, and I'm also a very complicated female human being. Mm-hmm. And I think I was a female human being he hadn't really encountered often. We were two people that we probably did not encounter often. Mm. And also, I, I, I am like that, believe it or not, even though, I, I mean, I wear flip-flops and I'm a beachy. I am trying to be the best at everything I do. I yeah. have a very large spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and if you don't know me well, that spirit can be aggress- come across aggressive. Mm. And so, like I said, we were two people yeah. that had very big personalities. <laughs> so, but... um. When I when I came to L.A., I had a chance to be on his label or Warner Brothers. Mm. Like, having your idol listen to your music or to have, you know, people compare you. There is no comparison. I'm like, the, the, <laughs> the polish on his shoe. Like, there's no comparison. But to have that happen to you, it's the thing you want from your parents, so to speak, or that you didn't have. And, and it's it just, like I said... Life changing. Hmm. I think we're in a weird time in history where we're not the dinosaurs. Like we can see the meteor coming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you see, you have people like Prince, and you have all these other great human beings who have achieved so much. Yet something in them, there are lessons in these people, and I hope that the 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 people that come be after them will heed those lessons because I'm starting to. Mm. We ask our guests, this is a tough one too. Mm. I, I, I wouldn't want to answer this myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should I ask it? But we, yeah. we, we ask our guests to describe the album that they chose in three words. And if you had to describe Purple Rain in three words, what would they be? This man's best. Mm. Mm. I'm getting a little sad because I'm just, that hit me and made me think of that we don't have them anymore. Yep. I mean, and and the best, you know, is subjective. But I, I mean, it's no way for me the thing that moves me the most. He has so so many other songs, but I feel like he would even want you to know, like, I this is you, you just can't be beat. Right. I killed it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I killed, killed it. it. Yeah. Say something. And the times I've <laughs> met him, that was important. Look what I've done. Because, again, why I relate to it, it was the kid or its character is that, yeah, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to be somebody. I'm trying to be the best. And that's why Mm. I say that. That is that man's best.
And those are all of our Prince episodes so far. We're sure we're going to talk about him again soon enough. Like we mentioned earlier, if you liked these excerpts, go back and listen to the extended version in the archives. So, Morgan, we've talked about, I think, previously how there's only a handful of artists who have made it to the Triple Crown. Prince, of course, being one of them. I think the first one. Surprisingly, Kanye. I would not have guessed that Kanye would be it. Sure. Um, But to come back to Prince, though, do you ever imagine that there would be a fourth Prince album that we might discuss? And if so, what is the one that you would most like to get into? I've said this on other shows, and until um, Illa J came, I mean, I had to reconsider for a few minutes. Around the World in a Day is my favorite. Mm. Um, not a lot of people choose that as their favorite. It's kind of slept on, which is weird because it had such great hits, hits. on it. Yeah. Pop Life. Oh, my God. Raspberry Beret. Yeah. I mean, just those by itself Boom. are great. Right. Um, Tambourine, Temptation, America. I don't want to say too much about this album because I hope someone comes on and talks about this album. Yeah. Um, but people don't bring that up. I love Dirty Mind, and I love it more now that we had that conversation because I appreciate it more. But I'm surprised no one's come and talked about Sign of the Times. So that's probably the third one I would think, yeah. or the fourth one I think that someone would come in and talk about. Um, big album, but no one's come. We're the Sign of the Times people. Right. Well, we'll get into this in an episode that listeners will probably hear in just a couple of weeks in the future. But Morgan also has some thoughts about Diamonds and Pearls in terms of Prince albums. But I don't want to spoil anything. So you're going to have to wait and get to that that special uh, comeback special episode that will be airing very, very soon. Oh, my God. The shame. <laughs> I have another question, though. People don't even know what you're talking about right now. But with Prince, I think we've always said that the kind of holy triumvirate of American pop artists were Prince... Michael Jackson. I think the third spot is always the one that you can you can debate. Maybe it's Stevie. Maybe it's you know James Brown. Um, and I feel like you know certainly with all the recent news around Michael Jackson, maybe that needs to take a couple of steps down. So maybe Prince is kind of in a class by himself at this sure. point. But who else would you put up there with the, with the benefit of the uh, passage of time and some reflection here? Who else would you put up there with being at the Prince tier? If there's anybody at the Prince tier. Because I don't think it's a coincidence that he's come up three times. I mean, he is that important and influential of an artist. I think Stevie's there. I think Stevie has to be there. Has to be there. And I think sometimes because of the sheer volume of albums, Prince is in a class by himself. What is it? 37 albums in 38 years or 38 in 39 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. Not all of them are fantastic. But just the output and to know that he's got so much more in his vault that we don't have access to. Um, But in terms of the time of career, Stevie's got to be considered. Those are our three. I mean, I think Aretha's stature, she's really also kind of in a class by herself. Absolutely. Um, And certainly covering from the 60s through 80s, you could say that she has that same kind of longevity as well. So I don't want to exclude her. Yeah. I was going to mention her, but one of the things that um, when we did our Aretha show, you were talking about um, her being on, on different labels. And that's the difference between, I think, Prince and Michael Jackson stayed consistently on one label and Prince did too. 
he was Warner Brothers for a while until he went to went and did his own thing. Yeah. There was never some other major label. And Aretha was on a couple of majors. And I think with Stevie's whole thing being Motown, mm-hmm. it's not just Stevie, it's Stevie and this whole Motown experience. And that pushes him, I think, in a in into a different class than them. There's brand loyalty that Stevie has. Yeah. Prince did his Warner Brothers thing, then he like was a slave for a second. I mean right. not not a slave, but he he, he felt like a slave. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sought to emancipate himself from that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Prince had, God rest his soul, such an amazing run. And it's been so delightful to have had three opportunities so far uh, to talk about Prince on this show. And and to your point earlier, Morgan, I got to think it can't be the last time. Someone's going to come through with one of those albums that you mentioned. Absolutely. It has to be. And I mean, it has to be. I don't remember the last time someone has even mentioned, even around the time of his passing, people kept going to Purple Rain. I mean, and I get why, but no one ever really talked about Sign of the Times. I don't remember people spending time on Sign of the Times, and I'm not sure why. Not taking anything away from 1999. Not only was that a great album, but it was a great episode with Neil Dash. I am surprised, and I wanted to ask you, too, that we would get to three Kanye albums. Mm. Would you have thought? No. (laughs) I mean, certainly one, two, absolutely. But uh, three, not so much. Even though I think that, I mean, his whole tabloid life aside, I think in terms of the quality of the output, it's not surprising because he does have certain kinds of pivotal albums for people called this dropout makes sense. My dark, uh, beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. Right. Uh, you know, again, people have, have, have heard it. I'm a little bit surprised. No one's done, um, 808 and heartbreaks yet, because I think actually of all of his albums, that's probably the most influential, maybe not people's favorites, but certainly one of his most influential albums. And so that could certainly be in the mix too. So maybe uh, yeah. someone's coming to do that. One. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you had to make a prediction of who might be our next Triple Crown winner, who might that be? Kendrick. We still need to get to, wait, have we even done two two yet? No. All we've done is Section 80. All we've done is Section 80. But now that you've mentioned Good Kid, Mad City, that'd be a great conversation, a great right. album to discuss, and obviously to Pimp a Butterfly. Right. Or even Damn. To, for or that even matter. Damn. Yeah. So, all right. We need people to bring us their Kendrick pitches. Yep. So we can get him across that. You know, could be Michael Jackson. Could if, be Michael if, Jackson. If we feel ready to take it there. Yeah. We we still have never done Thriller, which is surprising in hindsight. But so wait, we done Off, off the, the wall, wall and History. In History. Okay. Yeah, which definitely was very left field of your man, Justin Simeon. Would not, was. was not going to see, did not think of History as, as being the one. No. One of the MJ ones we'd get into. Step up, people. Come in here and make this. And no one's talked about Drake, and I'm taking that personally. Well, you know. I know you're not. well in any case to bring this back to the purple one thank you so much all of you for listening and happy 35th anniversary to purple rain shout out You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, HeatRocksPod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at HeatRocksPod.com. Good to see you, Oliver. Good to see you too, Morgan. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.